This is the Buried and Born podcast. Today's episode is from our series on Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, Wisdom and the Foolishness of the Cross. Let's, 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 let's get going here. We are in a single story here. We are in chapter 5 and 6 of 1 Corinthians. Remember, chapters 1 through 4 were this introduction where Paul said there, are, there is a desire for you to have wisdom, but there are two paths that you can go. Path number one is the path of the cross, which is what Christ and the Holy Spirit is trying to do in you and to build in you that he might create this new thing, right? This resurrection, this future new world. The other path is to uh, be self-involved, self-preserved, and to try to better your own self at the cost of other people. And Paul says you can't have those two worlds. So we go into chapter, what he wants them to have is the same mind and the same judgment. The mind is the mind of Christ, which is the cross, and the judgment is the ability to discern between right and wrong. This morning, for example, we had the prayer request for discernment on a school. This is what Paul is asking them for, to discern what is right from wrong. So he says your main problem, though, is that you have divisions among you. So chapters 5 through 10 are going to be all the divisions that this church has among themselves. Five and six is what I'm putting together as one single story, and here's the way it is outlined, just so we can understand. So we have the, we have the man here in chapter five, who we said is accused of being in an inappropriate relationship with his father's wife. We have that. Then Paul is going to give us an explanation of what we understand as excommunication. Now, remember this. The purpose of his excommunication was not, and I was talking to Ms. Peterson about this last week, um, there's a passage that says, deliver him up to Satan for the direction, destruction of his flesh so that his spirit would be saved. The point of excommunication is not because we're good, you're gross, so get out. The point of excommunication is twofold. One, so that the people on the inside can have their own spirits preserved so that this can continue to be a place of grace and mercy for other people to come. Um, and two, uh, so that the person on the inside could experience the loss of fellowship and friendship to the point where it, it hurt his soul enough that he would come to repentance and desire to come back in. It's not a we're better than you. It's a we want to purify this place. Why? Because, and, and you know this now, um, the, the image that the church has many, in many parts of the world, especially in the United States, is that it's an abusive organization that covers up abuses and it's not a safe place. And this is exactly why Paul says when you find these, purify it. Because the outsiders need to know that there's an effort on the inside that you're actually saying and doing the things that you're claiming. That's what he is. And then Paul has what we are calling uh, the vice list. Okay, This is vice list number one. Now, vice list number one comes right before another section, and uh, this section here explains why he references it. So we think that there's this man that Paul wants executed, uh, executed, wow, <laughs> wow. <laughs> excommunicated, and then he gives us this vice list, and he says things like um, swindlers and thieves, and it makes us wonder, well, if he's just in an inappropriate relationship, why are you referencing all these things? Well, we come to learn that he's got this entire section on judging or on judgment and discernment. So it looks like this man has this inappropriate relationship. He needs to be excommunicated, but he's also doing a lot of other things. And it's possible that multiple people in the church are doing those things. 
And then Paul enters this section that we start here, which is the inability to judge. Paul judges the man here and then questions why we are not able to judge that man. Then he flips it around and says, as a matter of fact, rather than judging the man, this man and some of you are going into the world and using the world's methodologies to judge one another and to harm one another. And Paul sees that as kind of a, a, a washing machine of, of silliness, just as everything is upside down. And what we're gonna see then is vice list number two. And vice list number two um, is going to have a follow-up section. And this section, and I'm just gonna write it here, is about a prostitute, but we'll get back to it in a second. And it's gonna, it's gonna uh, go back the way the first one went back. This entire section all goes together, so we don't wanna pull any one thing out. There's a man, he needs to be excommunicated, but he's also doing other things. He has entered into the world, and Paul thinks that using the world's judgment to do Christian things is foolish and harmful. Then what Paul is gonna do in his second vice list is say, you know, the world does these things, and the point of this passage is to shame, and if, if you see things here, that you, so that you see here, then the question would remain, well, what's the difference between the church and the world if these things that the world does, that can't get into the kingdom, are being done by you? And then he's gonna have one final section that follows up that explains why he says what he says in vice list number two. That's all my preface. Are we clear on it so far? That's why this is all five and six are one big story. We're clear so far? Okay. So we're gonna pick up on, in chapter six, I'm gonna, I'm gonna read the first section here and move forward. When one of you has a grievance against another, this is where we are right here, the second vice, right after the first vice list. Does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? We have gone into the world and we have looked at a system. This is, this is a system where the judicial system was skewed toward whoever had the most money or whoever was the most powerful, right? So why are you when we claim to be this future kingdom that we're describing, why are you going into the world and using their system as your operating system? I thought, and Paul here, he brings in some, some, some sarcasm. Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? If you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between brothers? Remember, this is what they thought they were good at. They thought that they were wise. They thought that they know how to discern. They thought that they know how to do things well. And Paul says, so you are going to judge angels. He uses that hyperbolic language there. You are going to judge angels. And yet there's some disputes among you about land and law and money and who owes who what. <laughs> and you're going into the world making judgments and letting the world make the decisions among you. Wouldn't it make sense for you to be able to judge those amongst yourself? Well, the problem is that the world doesn't think like the cross. That's not its default, right? The world thinks self-preservation. So he says, and this has been his message for a while, we cannot serve God and mammon, as Jesus said. You can't walk two paths. Can, can two walk together unless they be agreed? Paul's saying this, it doesn't operate well. Um, and this is a danger for us in the church 
where we, we, we wander a little bit in what we think is the right and wrong way to do things, and we adopt the way the world tells us to operate. And then we bring it into here and we, we treat each other that way or bring it into our lives and we treat. And Paul says, I want you to, to, to not do that. Isn't there someone among you that's wise enough that could handle this? Uh, so continue where he says, um, I say this to your shame. Could, is there not someone who's wise enough? He says, but a brother goes to law against brother and, and that before unbelievers. It's again, this is Paul does not think that everybody outside the church is stupid. That's not what he's saying at all. What he's saying is we have two systems of thought. Why, if you already have a system of thought of how we should live, would you go to someone else and allow them to teach you how to live? That makes sense. Um, and, and I'll bring this up every single time until we get this right. But this is one of the major problems with the American church when it comes to politics. We have a method of what we think about our enemies. We have a method of what we think about grace and forgiveness and mercy and truth. And then somebody gets up on the stage and says, let me tell you this. And we go, yeah, okay, we'll do that. And, and Paul, and I, I'm not trying to speak out of turn here, but I think Paul would say the exact thing to us. Why do you go to unbelievers who have a different methodology than you have and then go, yeah, that's good. That person should be our leader. He says, I say that to your shame. We already have a method of, what, of how we think. Operate the way we think. That's the whole point of being a Christian. Otherwise, just don't bother. So go on to this next section. To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves are wrong and defraud, even your own brothers. At the time, like a common, you know, Plato, Socrates, a common philosophical statement would be uh, to someone who knew or was of, of learning. It is better to be wrong than to wrong. Because a wise person considered themselves already to have lost if they started complaining. Or as you and I might call it, airing their dirty laundry, right? So imagine, if you will, the, if some of you remember, the Jerry Springer Show, okay? <laughs> Jerry Springer Show does not appear to have a lot of people who have high levels of wisdom and discernment. <laughs> and that's funny. I'm not mocking them. I'm trying to be literal. To air your dirty laundry to a philosophical mind at the time, if you were these, you know, these people at this time and you knew your Plato, you would understand the moment that I stand up in a public square and start complaining about somebody, I become the weak one because I wasn't strong enough to take whatever they gave me. That was, that's how they saw things. And so Paul says this, if you're so smart and wise, wouldn't you rather abide by the thing that is commonly accepted as wise, which is it is better to be defrauded than to embarrass yourself and stand up and scream in public, right? When my kids were younger and I yelled more, uh, <laughs> There have been times where, because the volume gets loud with children, and the volume amongst themselves gets loud, and there, there may have been raised voices, there's no worse sinking feeling than after raising your voice and realizing that it's May and the windows are open, and you know, oh, everybody just heard me. This is, this is what Paul is saying is foolish. You are airing your dirty laundry. You are embarrassing yourself, and Paul inserts this message of the cross 
which is hard for anyone to accept. But if we are going to truly remember that our bodies and our lives are the seed that goes into the ground through which God is going to raise up a new humanity and a new world, then, then the cross is beautiful and the cross is the path to life. And Paul says, would you rather not be defrauded than to attack and fight your own brother? Remember this, the proverb that says, where there is no fuel, the fire goes out. This is what Paul is teaching here. But Ethan wronged me and what Ethan did was not right. And Paul says, but if you remove the fuel, the fire goes out. Now, when I say something like that, I know our first, your first reaction is not, how could, I, how could I be better at not fighting my brother? Our first reaction is always, but what about? But what about if somebody hits me? Am I not supposed to get insurance on my car? Am I not supposed to go to, am I not supposed to get a, Paul is not talking about common, uh, um, what would be legal issues like that. Like, like, Ethan, you hit my car. I'm not supposed to go, Ethan, I would rather be defrauded. I'll take this. But no, it's like, give me your insurance. Your insurance is going to pay. Because that's how a, a, a polite, kind society operates. He's talking about abusive and exploitative people that are out for revenge, that are angry, that want to fight. That I don't just want my enemy to lose. I want my enemy to, there should be gallows and we should hang them, right? That's the spirit that he's talking about. And I don't have to actually want to hang somebody, but you know that feeling in your heart that you have when you are just so angry at somebody who has wronged you that in your heart you've already hung them, in your heart you've already executed them, to use a word from before? That, Paul says, is, is it's going to spill out. I'm very bad at poker face. I'm very bad. Like, if Samantha comes in and I'm mad, she will know within three seconds, what are you mad about? Like, I have no ability to be angry and then to just be like, hi, how are you? Carry about my day. I, it is clear. It is obvious that I'm having a bad day or I'm angry. And then I could say, oh, nothing at all whatsoever. And it's like, well, you don't actually ever talk like that, so I know this is what's for us. It's going to spill out. And Paul is concerned with these people, and he's, he's, he's struggled with them because he says, the way of the cross honestly just says, you're right, I would rather take the hit. I would rather absorb the harm knowing that I can offer up my suffering to Christ as a, a, a portion of my salvation. That through suffering, you mentioned it today, through your suffering, you are speaking to God more and God is speaking to you more. This is a, this is a backwards path, but it's true. This is how God operates. This is how the world operates. And through um, our anger and our frustration, we could take it out as the world tells us to do, or as Paul says, we could be like the cross. Would you rather not be defrauded? Now I can go into a lot of different issues and say, wouldn't you rather be defrauded? But just you, it, let the spirit take that for your own. Would you not rather be wronged than to add to the harm and build it, right? Um, the boys, because they're boys, you know, one does one thing and the other one does another thing and it's, it's this escalation. And then the next, by the time it's, but by the time you end World War III, the, it was somebody took a pencil out of my room, <laughs> right? It, and it, would you not rather, Paul says, just take that hurt, that thing that happened and not let it consume you than to escalate it into this thing that has now harmed multiple people and dad is sweating. And would you not rather? This is the message of the cross that he says. Now, okay. So he finishes that and he says, 
um, this is what you're acting like, but we're not the world. And now he's going to come in and say, and this is what the world is acting like. Okay? Now, so he says, or do you not know? Now, here's how you've been acting. All this viceless swindling and thieves and greedy. Or did you not know that people who do those things don't enter the kingdom of God? Why, if you know these things don't enter the kingdom of God, are you doing those things? Right? And he goes on to say, and such some of you were, but you are washed, you are cleansed, and you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul repeats his first vice list, but he adds these two, adulterers, and then he adds men who are engaged in deviant sexual behavior with other men. By restating this vice list, he calls back to the first. So this first one was initially a list of things that the Christian man was guilty of. The second list compares this man to those who are outside the kingdom, doing many of the same things, as a way to reinforce this. He is criticizing brothers who are acting like outsiders, claiming to be insiders, using the system of outsiders to take advantage of insiders. Okay? The first, the point of the first vice list is not to say that we're better than sinners, so kick them out. The point of the second list is not to say, this is a warning to anyone through these things, you're going to hell. The first list, the, the first time he said swindlers, etc., etc., is to protect innocent people and bring the sinner to brokenness. The whole point is reconciliation. The second list is to shame the believer for his willingness to use what is outside the kingdom to the lives of kingdom people. So let me begin by explaining it this way. Every year we have... Um, uh, you know, let's say we put up Christmas decorations, right? And we, uh, Christmas carols and cookies and stuff like that. It's all the things that are, that are Christmassy. And let's say one of the kids is really just grumpy that day, just mean and grumpy and won't share the cookies and won't do this. And I were to say, you know, the Christmas spirit is about joy and sharing and friendliness and family. The list that I'm making shames you, right? Because you know that if dad says it's joy and sharing and family, I've not been joyful, I've not been sharing it. The point of the list is to shame you. So imagine Paul says, here's all the things that you're doing. And then he says, here's all the thing that outsiders are doing. The point is to shame them and go, oh, that's what we're doing. And this does not come into the kingdom of heaven. This is not what the new world is. So why are we doing it? Why are we participating in these things? Right now we have this war in Israel and it's a horrible thing. And I'm watching video after video of rubble and people dragging out their babies, their babies. Now, before we turn on whichever is our favorite news network and see a battle victory and say, yeah, get them. Whichever network you have that's going yeah for whichever side they're going yeah for. Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace. There is never, never a time for a Christian to see a war, to see babies being pulled out of rubble and celebrate anything. Even at a time where someone who is evil may be being stopped, it should be with horror, 
with shame, with sorrow, and with disappointment, that we offer up repentance to God and say, we are sorry as people that it had to get to this point to be able to correct this issue, to be able to fix this thing. Because if Jesus Christ is anywhere, he is not wrapped in any nation's flag. He is not wrapped in any person's movement. If Jesus Christ is anywhere at this very moment, he is in the rubble with three and four-year-old babies who are dying. That's where Christ is. <coughs> so we must be careful before we get see these people here and go, yeah, this is how the church acts. Paul goes, that's gross. That is not how the church acts. We're the people of the cross. We're not the people of rah-rahing all this, deviancy and swindlers and cheaters. That's who we are. And we should, we should be praying for that. We should not be participating in that. Paul reminds them in, in verse 11 that this is not who you are. This is not your true self. You've been washed, you've been cleansed, and you've been justified, or you've been judged by Jesus. See how he ties that justice back in. You've been judged by Jesus and made right. So start judging your lives the way the cross judges it. But if you read, let's read the end of the passage to understand a little bit why he says this. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by any. You know, we get into the arguments back and forth that, well, is this right or is this wrong? Or how much of this is right? Or how much of this is wrong? Or what level? Or is this better than this? Or is this better than that? And the Corinthians come to Paul and say, aren't all things lawful for us? Like, aren't we freed from sin and death and all the stuff that you're teaching us? Aren't all things now lawful for us? Aren't we free to pursue? And I think it's the difference between Pinocchio and the Little Mermaid. The Little Mermaid says, uh, look at this stuff, isn't it neat? And this girl falls in love with Eric, the prince. And she disobeys her father and wrecks everything, right? How many of you know the way the real Little Mermaid ends, the Hans Christian Andersen? Yeah, right. She gets chopped in half. Uh, that's the way the real story ends. Disney decided to alter the ending. And at the end of the story where there's this pain and suffering, she has caused her family, disobeyed her father, she's been rebellious, all this trouble that has happened. And she gets the guy. The Pinocchio story is a little bit different. The Pinocchio story says, let your conscience be your guide. And while we believe in the Holy Spirit, not necessarily Jiminy Cricket, um, this is true. It is good to look somebody in the face and say, there are things that you'll want that you should not do because they'll harm you. Pinocchio should go to school. He should keep his books. He should not ditch. He should not go to Pleasure Island with Lampwick. He should not be drinking beer and smoking cigars. He's a little boy. What does Pinocchio want more than anything? He wants to be a real boy, just like Ariel wanted to uh, be with Eric the Prince. But Pinocchio teaches us that there are consequences to our sin. And if you want to be a real boy, it's not go out and pursue and do whatever you want. It is obey and do what is right. And when he learns to let his conscience be his guide, not be a liar, not to go out with Lampwick to Pleasure Island and become a donkey, this is when the fairy comes back and says, I can finally grant you to be a real boy. Okay, what's the point of that? I don't think we have to always look at every single thing and go, is this right or is this wrong? Is this right or is this wrong? How much of this? What is this? Is this right or is this wrong? You have to ask the question, is this good for me? 
Is this good for my final end? What am I really ultimately trying to do? Does Pinocchio know that his real purpose in life, if he becomes a real boy, is to know the one true God through Jesus Christ? Does Ariel know, and I don't know how salvation works for mermaids, but does Ariel know that if she becomes a human, a real oxygen-breathing human with a soul, does she know that her purpose is to know the one true God, the one true God through Jesus Christ? If, our, if we begin with the end in mind, we can work backward and say, is this good for me or is this bad for me? There are people who don't struggle with, with there's, there's someone who doesn't struggle with, um, uh, let, let's say, uh, alcohol. And so going to uh, Buffalo Wild Wings and sitting with the guys and watching a game doesn't bother them. There is another person who struggles. They, they can't even be around alcohol, but they're going to they're gonna take that first shot and they're going to take the second. And, they're gonna, and so you say the question, is Buffalo Wild Wings sinful? That's not a question. It is, is that thing particular to you helpful for your salvation? Is that particular? And if it is, Paul said, yeah. Notice Paul doesn't stop here and go, no, not everything is lawful. There's right and there's wrong. Paul answers back and says, but is it helpful? Is it helpful to you? And is there anything that's going to dominate you and take you off the path? This is what we should be looking for in our lives. Are the things that we participate in, are they helpful for my salvation? Forgive me, but Doritos and Twitter, I bring this up a lot. Neither of them are helpful for me. And there are times where I am dominated by both. And so it may not be the case for you. Now, I stand up here very holy and righteous and tell you that I have to be careful. My wife will tell you the exact opposite. He is never careful with his Doritos. <laughs> he allows them to completely control him. I'm sitting there with a bag saying, maybe I got to stop eating these. And she's like, then stop eating them. <laughs> but that's what we should be looking for in our life. Is this helpful or is this not? So let me conclude with this portion here so I can explain that one passage. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. Paul says... Um, don't treat all of your desires like food and belly. Well, if I'm hungry, I give it whatever it wants, right? He said, if you do that, see, the food passes away. Even Jesus says, what you eat doesn't matter because that just passes anyway. But we are more than just food and drink. Our, our desires, it's not just like, hey, I want that, take it. Hey, I want that, take it. Hey, I want that, take it. Paul really believes that our bodies are the seeds of the future. And he says, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. God raised up the Lord. He will also raise us up. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. That's the first time he mentions that in that passage. So he, he has given us this thing about this guy. And apparently right at the end, he's saying, oh yeah, one last final thing. This guy is also participating in deviant sexual behavior. And I think those two things that he references above are, in this context, the exploitative, deviant, sexual nature that was prevalent in that day. There are many things that people participated in because there was these systems. Remember I said patronage? Well, if I'm a 65-year-old man and I have a wife, but one of the women in my patronage is in her 20s, I can just take her and have her. If, if I don't have a beautiful woman, I have young slave boys. This was a rampant, sexually deviant culture that was exploitative to people. So how do we teach that today? We don't do that as much today, but I will tell you where we do that in our culture, and that is through pornography. One of the most detrimental things to someone's health, social health, welfare, and well-being is addiction to pornography. It is not only something that harms us, as individuals, because it 
literally rewires our brains to see people differently. But every click that goes on on an internet means demand. And whenever there is demand, there needs to be supply. And we are finding out more and more through investigations that the supply of things that are coming across on the internet are illegal or sex trafficking. And Paul says more than just this bad guy, there is gross stuff that goes on in the privacy of the world's world. Paul says, purge that. Stop harming other people's bodies. Stop harming your own bodies because we must never lose the end in sight, Ariel, Pinocchio. We are being made into something new. God loves us and is making us into that temple that is holy and good and full of grace and mercy and truth. And he says, all of this stuff in chapter five and six, I want it purged out completely. So this final statement, I'll let you guys know we're really late. This final statement to, remit, to teach us how to act like the cross, you are not your own. That is a hard statement to believe. You are not your own. Your body is not your own. It belongs to husbands. Your body belongs to your wife's wives. Your body belongs to your husband. Church, you belong to each other. And so if there is exploitation, if there is divisiveness, if there is abuse, if there is taking advantage of one another, if there is using the world's models to get what you want to the people in this room, purge it from you. Thank you for listening to the Buried and Born podcast. We hope you'll continue with us through our series on 1 Corinthians. You can download notes for this series and others at buriedandborn.substack.com.